In the second chapter of Galatians, uh, the Apostle Paul tells about the first time he went up to meet the apostles in Jerusalem. And uh, he was kind of known to them, but not really known to them. And he goes up and he explains the gospel that he has been proclaiming. And they hear that and they go, that's the right gospel. That's the Jesus, that's the Jesus gospel. That's good. And Paul says, they added nothing to the gospel I was proclaiming. But listen to this verse. He says, at the, I'm in chapter 2, verse 10. He says, only they asked, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So they say, Paul, bless you. Go out, spread the gospel, but remember the poor. And Paul says, I was eager to do that. Sometimes as Christians, we feel there's a tension between being like really gospel focused and remembering the poor. And yet right from the beginning, I think God has said, yep, that's what you're supposed to do. Give out the gospel, remember the poor. And today we're going to be thinking biblically about social justice. And to do that, to help us think about that, Scott Forbes is with us. He's with the IJM, International Justice Mission. Many of you know about them. They do phenomenal work around the world. Scott and his wife Karen live in London. I think he said four kiddos. Uh, One kind of cool thing that I think I had heard before, but Scott reminded me of it today, is that he taught here a number of years ago in the area of missions. So he has a, a long and rich history with us. And we've asked him to come both in his work with IJM, but his heart for missions, his heart for the gospel, to help us do some thinking biblically on that. So would you join me in welcoming Scott as he comes to speak to us today? Yes, so I'm, I'm glad to be here. And uh, if you ever hear a story about a professor back bef- in the dark ages here who painted his office bubblegum pink, um, the rumor is that it was me and um, that I'm, I'm color challenged in some way. Uh, that's for all the old people here, that story. I'm glad to come and talk to you. Uh, and, um, I really think it's important in this day and age to think clearly about justice. And the question for our Christians is, why bother? We have police forces, we have military, we have all kinds of people who bring justice in Canada and around the world. So why is it important for Christians to think about justice? So today we're going to um, talk about it uh, using uh, just a few scriptures, because there are many. And we're also going to talk about the practical realities of justice and injustice in the world, at least from the point of view of IJM. The picture on the screen in front of you is of uh, some people being led out of a forest to freedom. They're slaves. This picture was taken about uh, five or six years ago in India. And those people were held captive in a forest, cutting wood um, in all the hours of daylight and into darkness, They were fed very little, and they just worked until they die. But along came some people from IJM to set them free. The woman in the front is Anu George. She has the distinction, along with about half a dozen or so other uh, men and women in IJM, of setting free more people from slavery than anyone in the history of mankind. Okay? And this is just a few years ago. So Anu... Uh, in her work with IJM, uh, has personally led rescues and set free about 7,500 people held as slaves uh, in your lifetime. Uh, We often think that slavery was a long time ago issue, but it's not. And it's a justice issue, and why should you even care about it? 
The interesting thing about Anu is she's now the Canadian director of IJM. And hopefully uh, sometime she'll be able to come here and speak and you'll get to meet her. Uh, she's a tremendous person and uh, her heart for the suffering of the world, especially those in slavery, uh, is huge. This was in the paper last week. Uh, the Premier of Ontario announced over $200 million to be given over a period of years, five years, to stop human trafficking. Human trafficking, the buying and selling of people in Ontario. So it's, not, it's a faraway problem, and it's a local problem. Now, if you add that, there was already over um, $100 million um, given a couple years ago, about a year ago. So in total, the Ontario government is now devoting over $300 million to stopping human trafficking in Ontario, just in one province of one country, which you may not even known that was a big problem. Um, why? Why, would, why is that so important? The interesting thing is, do you know why he did it? He did it because a whole group of uh, concerned individuals and organizations, the majority of whom are evangelical Christians, asked him to. They got together, they formed a group, they petitioned the government, they gave him plans, they gave him ideas, um, and... Lo and behold, $300 million is going to be devoted to stopping human trafficking in Ontario. Why? Why should we even care? This is the front page of a report um, that I got last week. It's from Kenya, and it's about the judicial murders, or the extrajudicial murders of individuals in Kenya by the police. Well, that doesn't sound very good. Well, it's not. The police in Kenya... Um, last year, according to the email that came with it, I just put my glasses on here so I can read it. In 2019, more than 100 people were killed by the police in Kenya. And by the end of January, just in the first month of this year, 14 people had already been killed by the police. These, this is not from storming banks where bank robbers were holding hostages and they they had a shootout and killed individuals. These are unarmed individuals murdered by the police in Kenya on a regular basis. It's called extrajudicial killings. Um, and it's been known for several decades that there are actually police hit squads who target individuals and go out and kill them. That's a long ways away. Why should you even care? Why should you even care about that kind of thing? In IJM is what we do care about. We care about violence against the poor. Slavery, sex trafficking, the abuse of widows and children, that's what we fight against throughout the world. We're a 1,000 members in IJM now in um, 14 countries where we do our work and in about half a dozen countries where we raise money and do speaking just like this. Um, why? Why so many people devoted to this cause? Well, on the human side... There's lots of human reasons. There's about 4 billion people in the world have no protection from law enforcement. Okay? They live in societies where the judicial system, beginning with police, judges, prosecutors, social workers, all manner of people who should protect them, who protect us in our society, it doesn't function. And it particularly doesn't function to protect the poor. 
Rich people, wherever you are, you can work around this problem. You can hire bodyguards, you can hire security, you can live in gated communities. There are a lot of things you can do to mitigate um, bad things that might happen to you. But if you're poor, there's not much you can do. To show you uh, sort of the breadth of that, we're going to show you a little video. It's just about three minutes long, and this will give you a further explanation of what it's like to live in a world of injustice and what some Christians are trying to do. <laughs> Sorry, that's the wrong video. It's a very interesting video, but it's the wrong one. That was to show you that uh, uh, in... North America, it's beginning to break down. In Oregon, uh, they had budget cuts, so on the weekends, the police didn't work. Yeah, no police in certain parts of Oregon on the weekends. Um, imagine if someone comes and attacks you, what do you do? This is the one that we want to watch. Thanks. So this is the target establishment. We're a suspect for our victims. And remember, if there's a hazard or dangerous situation, move yourself to a position of comfort. If you run it, you go back to the police. We saw about 1,200 little kids in Van out that they were in fact trafficked and they were in fact slaves. These little kids are on this boat. They are not fed. They are abused beyond imagination. We got to you up. This is the girl. Whenever something like this comes, I imagine in my mind that girl is found. We have operations all over the world rescuing people from slavery because today there are criminals who abuse children, sell girls. How old is she? 30. and force families into slavery. Criminals prey on the easiest target, the world's poor, because they expect no one to defend them. But today, there are thousands of people gathering to seek justice for those in slavery. We are a group of lawyers, counselors, activists, and supporters. We are called International Justice Mission. And together, we form the largest international anti-slavery organization in the world. But slavery won't come to an end until criminals know they can't get away with it. So we partner with local police to arrest and prosecute criminals. This sends a message to slave owners. We will not go away. We stay with the survivors until they are healed, until they are free. Natulungan po ako ng IJM sa pamamigitan po na sa case ko, sa pagtulong po nila na ma-overcome ko po yung, yung fear. Each year, we rescue thousands of slaves and protect millions around the world. We are transforming how justice systems protect their citizens.
those who are still enslaved. We promise to find you. We will get you home to your families so you can have the freedom you deserve. Last year, the revenue in IJM worldwide was somewhere around $70 million. Why so much money to do this job? Why so, why so much effort expended on justice? Um, why, why would we consider it that important? There's lots of things to do in the world. Surely there are other things that are simpler. Um, but our job in IJM... Oh, is this going to work again? No, it's not. Um, oh, up there. They'll find it. Why bother looking for justice in a world that's so obviously full of injustice? Why bother? That's the, that's the question I want to try to answer today with just a few scriptures. In Jeremiah 9, uh, it says this. Be careful what you boast about. Don't let wise people boast of their wisdom. That would be all of you sitting here in college. Or strong people boast of their strength. Or the rich people boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this. That they have the understanding to know me. And what does me want you to know? That I am the Lord. What kind of Lord? I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The first thing um, to know about justice is that it's rooted in the character of God. Biblical uh, scriptures tell us that justice comes from God first. It doesn't start with problems in society. It starts with God and his character and what he wants you to know about him. Uh, A.W. Tozer, famous theologian, my favorite theologian, because of all the theologians who have written textbooks about theology, his is about this thick. Uh, It's called Knowledge of the Holy, and uh, it's about the attributes of God. And he says that whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I found that to be true. Because what you think about God is what you will live. Um, And that's why we have a battle in our minds all the time to think properly, to control what we think about, to memorize Scripture, and to have the understanding of God at the forefront of how we think. Because what you think is how you're going to act. And here in this Scripture, through Jeremiah, he says, this is what you need to know. You need to know about me. What do I delight in? I delight in justice, righteousness, and kindness. So even if that was the only scripture uh, to use the word justice in the Bible, we would be on a good direction. That alone would compel you to consider, uh, if these are the things God delights in, then maybe I should delight in them. And what does it mean to delight in something but to do it? 
And in the discussion of the attributes of God, there's always a correlation between his being and his doing, and there's never a contradiction in them. God is just. He can't be unjust and just at the same time. He can't do unjust things and be just in essence. He has to be both. So that's the beginning point for Christians. But there are other scriptures, and I've chosen a few others uh, that might be perhaps the most common ones. This is from Isaiah chapter 1, and it might not be all that clear up there. Uh, Learn to do good, because you don't know how to do it all by yourself. Learn to do good. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. This is a cool verse all by itself, and if you just want to proof text things, this is a really good one. You will, you'll get your way uh, about justice with this verse. But what's important about this is what leads up to it in the first 16 verses of Isaiah 1. In that, it's a condemnation of God's people. He condemns their sacrifices. He condemns their prayers. He condemns their holy days, all their celebrations. He condemns their worship. He condemns them. He rejects all of it. It would be like saying all that um, singing time that we had is rejected. All your prayers are rejected. It's quite a condemnation. And then he says how to fix it, which tells you what they weren't doing. They weren't doing these things. They weren't seeking justice. They weren't rescuing the oppressed, defending the orphan, or pleading for the widow. The lady in this picture is a widow. Uh, She lives in Uganda. Uh, She was looking after all of her grandchildren. I think there were 15 or 16 of them. She owned a little house like that. She owned a little plot of land. Um, But when her husband died, the relatives came and they took everything that belonged to her. And when she wouldn't vacate the land, they cut down her, her crops that she fed her kids with, her grandchildren, and they broke down her house. This is her rebuilt house. They took everything away from her. This is common throughout um, sub-Saharan Africa. It's in most um, tribes. There's some kind of idea about property belonging to the man and therefore to all his relatives. But IJM uh, went to court and defended her and was able to get everything back for her. So sometimes you go to court to seek justice. Sometimes you have to endure violence. So I talked to the driver Um, I met a guy who is the driver in our office in Uganda. He told me what happens on these kind of things is that the police go to, because they'll get um, some kind of report that a widow's being attacked. And he said, you go on these calls, and he says, the police go with you. And um, when you go and knock on the door to confront the person who has taken the house, he said, very often a, a fight will ensue. You'll be attacked. And he said, the problem is you have the police with you, But he said, you don't dare turn around and look for them because by the time someone comes to the door, they're about 100 yards away watching to see what will happen. And so you endure the beating on behalf of the widow. That's what it looks like in real life. Here's one from the mouth of Jesus after he had, um, when he stood up to read scripture uh, in the synagogue. He read from Isaiah from the Old Testament. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Now, there is a, a tendency to spiritualize this into everything but real poverty, real lack of freedom and slavery and prisoners and blindness and real oppression, okay, to turn it into spiritual issues. Well, you know, that person's spiritually oppressed. I'll go help the spiritually oppressed and the um, people who are too blind and can't see the truth of God's word and so on. But I've seen, I've seen people live this in real life in real time and in real suffering for exactly what those words meant when Isaiah wrote them. And it's very cool. It's very awesome to see people who will stand up for the oppressed, who go into a prison and try to find out who's in that prison illegally. The story from Kenya, um, why would police be like that? Well, it's a hangover from colonialism. They were never taught to be police. They were taught to be enforcers and protectors of dignitaries. But they were never taught to investigate a crime. And so you can go to the prison in Kenya, and about a third of all prisoners in Kenya have no charges against them at all. And about half of those that have no charges against them aren't even recorded in the logs of the prison. They're not there. Their bodies are there, but for all intents and purposes, they're not there. And a lot of them are young men, teenage boys who are picked up, walking home from school by the police, put in jail, and then the police can say they solved a crime because they picked up someone wearing the same color shirt. And it seems to me that Jesus is saying he agrees with Isaiah and Jeremiah, and this is what he's come to make happen. And then he says this uh, in condemning the religious leaders of the day, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you neglect the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And do you know Jesus bolded that himself on my PowerPoint? Just kidding. Little editorial license there. You should have practiced the latter without uh, neglecting the former. Okay, so some things are more important than other things. Some things matter more. Some things are weightier. And it includes justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So it seems that Jesus has no problem with the Old Testament uh, declarations of God's nature. And he expects it to be the same for those who follow. If you're going to say you're a Jesus person, maybe you should act like him. Maybe you should look like him. Now, that's not news to you, and don't take that as any kind of a condemnation. It just may be there's a whole category of the world in which you've never really considered applying your Christian faith. One of the ones you'll see most often on a plaque is this one, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? So to me, this is like the A.W. Tozer theology book. It's a synopsis. What does the Lord require? It doesn't say, what does he delight in in this one and leave it kind of open. It's what does he require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Very um, condensed version of how to live like uh, a follower of God in the world. Now, in IJM, we recognize that 
for us, seeking justice is part of God's mission in the world. It's what he's sent people to do. And in living out these verses, uh, we end up doing these things. We rescue victims. So we have undercover people who go into situations where people are being held as slaves um, or in brothels, um, forced into sex, uh, young girls forced to have sex with men seven to 17 times a day. And we get the evidence. We gather all the evidence. Now, when you go into a brothel in Calcutta, India, the one, one of our undercover guys said, uh, when we asked him if it was a risky proposition to do that, he said, uh, he didn't understand this word risky at first, and then he said, oh, yes. He said, I know what you mean. He said, um, for example, he said, when we go into a brothel, before we ever see a girl and gather any evidence, we are three padlocks in. You go in one door, it's padlocked behind you. You're taken through another door, it's padlocked behind you. And you go through a third door, and it's padlocked behind you before you ever see a girl. He says, if we're discovered, if they find our video camera, our recording device, um, there's no way out. There's no window to jump through. We're three padlocks from freedom. And he said, we'll be dead before the first one gets unlocked. No, we have never lost anyone. Uh, to uh, murder in India. But that's what it takes to rescue victims. Um, Then we bring the criminals to justice, so we work then with the police and the court system, and we prosecute people until they go to prison. Because we don't have to create a law, the laws are already there. Slavery is illegal in every country of the world but one. And I'm not going to tell you which one. You have to look it up. It's going to bug you all day now which country that is. Um, So we can help bring them to justice. Now, the first time we brought slaves to court in India, about 12 years ago, um, slavery had been illegal for 150 years at that time in India. It was the first prosecutions ever had. And the sentence, when they were convicted, was until the rising of the court, which was the end of the day, until the court got up and went home for the night. So they got less than a day in jail for... Uh, owning slaves. Now they get life in prison for 30 years, for 20 years, all in a 10-year period. All because Christian people who thought it the right way to live for Jesus in their context is to fight slavery, to put themselves on the line, like Anu and a bunch of other people just like her, who you've never heard of and no one ever is going to write a book about them. But that's what they do every day. Then we restore the survivors. If you've been held in a brothel for eight to 10 years and you've seen literally more than 10,000 men have raped you, um, you need some aftercare. We have many partners who do that with us. And we have, if we can't find a partner who's a specialist in aftercare, a Christian partner, then we create it ourselves. But our whole goal is to strengthen the justice system to get justice for the poor. How does that happen? Well, it takes a long time. Uh, in the case of in the Philippines, for example, um, for over 10 years, we worked to rescue children from brothels. Kids, young girls, 10 years old, 11 years old, who are sold for sex in brothels. It's illegal. The brothel itself is legal. It's usually attached to a bar of some kind, and they're allowed to have a prostitution if the woman is over 18 years of age. But of course, it No woman over over 18 years of age volunteers to be a prostitute, all right? 
but you can lure a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old away from her parents or even um, trick their parents into letting her go with you. And then you can sell her for $100 to a brothel where she'll work until she dies. It's all illegal. And so we work to make the justice system stop it. So in the Philippines, they actually did a test case for three years where they had independent people survey the number of children estimated in the 1,000 brothels or so in a particular city. And after three years, we had rescued about 240-something children. Um, we had arrested 50 brothel owners and shut down those bars, padlocked them. When they went back and did a follow-up survey, they found that the reduction in the number of children available in the brothels was, re it was reduced by 79%. Not because we had rescued 79% of the children, but when bullies, when uh, people who abuse other people, when you make it hard for them, if it becomes a difficult job, then they don't do it as much. If you take away the profit margin by putting them in jail and locking up their business, then they don't do it at all. And if they see that their, their buddies, their colleagues are going to prison, then they find some other way of making money because they know you can't make any money when you're in prison. That was, um, became such an effective thing that the Philippine government created a special police task force called the Rapid Anti-Trafficking Force. Um, they have specialized training in uniforms and vehicles and an office, and their goal now is to roll that out and have one of those in every one of the 1,000 districts in the Philippines. That's what um, justice system strengthening looks like. It takes a lot, a lot of work of doing the same thing over and over and over again and persevering, and then the change happens overnight. So if we want to be like Micah, we need to walk humbly with God, and people need to be taught about God because they're alienated from God. There's no doubt in IJM about that. We need to love mercy because many people are deprived of the basic necessities of life. But you need to act justly because the world is full of people who are oppressors. They exist here. They exist in um, marriages. They exist in corporations. And they exist in organized crime around the world. Here's one. His name is Nakul Bera. He's from India. He owned nine brothels in which there were hundreds of uh, children being sold for sex every day. He's a wealthy, wealthy man. And after multiple raids on his establishments where he just started up again, uh, we finally were able to have him arrested. Now, it took 37 trips to court before he even went on trial because he launched 37 applications for bail. 37. We went to court 37 times. No poor person can go to court that many times. Nobody who has no, who has a, who's a child who's been rescued from a brothel can go to court against this man. Right? It takes Christian people who are motivated by their understanding of God and what he uh, desires from them to do this work. There's about 41 million people in the world today held in slavery. That's in excess of the whole population of Canada. There are slaves in Ontario, uh, but in India, about half of those slaves are thought to exist. 
There's a quote that says, uh, the only thing that evil needs to triumph is for good people to do nothing, by a guy named Edmund Burke. That's another plaque you'll find somewhere. Okay, it's a great t-shirt slogan. Here's the thing. What happens when uh, good people do something? All right? In IJM, we see it over and over and over and over again. Amazing results when good people do something. Slavery begins to fall apart. Uh, 11 years ago, when I began my work with IJM, the government of India denied there was any slavery at all. The Minister of Education was on Canadian television, and he said, we don't have slavery in India. We just have issues of poverty. Well, an issue of poverty isn't an injustice necessarily, but slavery is an injustice. But now the, the government of India, a Hindu government, acknowledges that slavery is rampant, and they're going to shut it down by 2030. Well, it just so happens that in IJM, that's our goal too, to eradicate slavery by 2030. Is it possible? Who knows? But we know one thing, if you start to do something, um, your enemy becomes afraid. If you do nothing, sex trafficking triumphs. There's about 2 million children uh, exploited every day uh, in the sex trade. And this is not, you know, for for a few days. This is until they die. Okay? They don't reach adulthood, many of them. But when good people do something, children are rescued, and their whole life is turned around. This is one of our earliest pictures from Cambodia. This group of girls uh, was rescued from a brothel. These little children were performing sex with grown adult men every day, seven days a week. Now, one of the girls in the picture is now in her uh, early 20s. Her name is Maine. She's a, a young mother with three children and a husband. She has a job, and she volunteers um, and works with children who are rescued from the sex trade in Cambodia. Life changes completely when good people do something. This is a place uh, in that um, center in um, Svepak in Cambodia, and this was a brothel. It's now a community center and a church in the middle of this area where all those children were sold for sex. It used to be one of the um, best destinations for a pedophile in the world was to go to this particular place. Now if they go there, they're going to go to church. But it can have a great cost. We have never had anyone killed in India yet, but we did um, three years ago in Kenya. This is Willie. He was a lawyer, and he went to court one day to launch charges against the police officer, along with a client who had been abused by the police officer and the driver. So they drove away from the court, and about a kilometer away, they were stopped, kidnapped, tortured, and murdered, and thrown in a river. And a week later, their bodies were found. So it's not for the faint-hearted, okay? In fact, living as a Christian in the world is really not for the faint-hearted. It means applying what you learn from the Bible to everyday life and acting it out to represent God in the world. Willie did that every day, and it, he gave his life for that. So did his client. So did the driver of the car. Now, that trial is ongoing. We just wrapped up all of the presentation of witnesses for the prosecution. There were 79 of them. It's an airtight case but who knows how it will go. But when that verdict gets announced sometime in the next few months, 
Um, it'll be a watershed day in Kenya. Four police officers and one civilian are on trial, and um, it's been in the newspaper whenever the trial's been ongoing. All that happens because Christian people decide that justice is biblical, that it's rooted in the character of God, and therefore it's rooted in who they want to be in the world. Uh, they don't react to all of the um, social issues of the day. They act because of God in them, uh, creating in them a desire to seek justice. Um, practically, from a Canadian point of view, how, how does the trial of the murderers of Willie Kimani happen? Well, it happens because people here pray and give, and they make justice happen far away. That's an equation uh, rooted in God himself. God makes transformation happen when people in one place care enough to lay down a piece of their life so that justice will happen in another. And my uh, request of you today, if you're willing, is to become a prayer partner with IJM. We send out a bulletin every Saturday morning, which talks about our cases, talks about what's going on, and you not only will be able to pray for them, but you'll get an education about um, how difficult is it to get justice in the world? What does it take? And maybe you'll even discover along the way that you want to have a part in it uh, as a career. So there's a couple of clipboards up here with some paper on it. I don't have a pen, so if there's any pens in this school, maybe, maybe you'll be able to sign. <clears throat> there's also a brochure here to tell you more about IJM. But the main thing is to, is to know this, that God is a God of justice. It's who he is, it's in the essence of who he is, and it's in his actions. He can't do unjust things, and he delights when those who follow him pursue justice in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the sheer privilege of being alive on this day in Canada. We thank you that around the world today, we have brothers and sisters who are literally laying it on the line uh, to represent you in very difficult circumstances. They absorb beatings, they absorb uh, rocks thrown at them, they absorb, they absorb uh, indignity just to reach out and live for Jesus and rescue those who are suffering. Might we be found to be in solidarity with them? And might you inspire us uh, how to live our lives so that more justice happens on this earth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. Scott's a, able to stick around for lunch, so he'll be down in the cafeteria. So in addition to if you want to sign up on a clipboard or get some information, if you'd like to uh, join a table for lunch, if you have some questions or you'd like to explore this more, uh, he'll be down there. So. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Carry this in your heart and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? You're dismissed.